Let's, let's read um, Psalm 55. We're still in the Psalms. Uh, the Psalms are all about life's emotions. They're about the writer's reactions to the stuff of life and, and the ups and the downs and the joys and the sorrows and the heartaches. And one of the difficulties I've found writing the daily devotionals uh, day after day when we've been in the Psalms is the same issue is dealt with again and again and again. So trying to find something new to say each day about some of the same issues has been hard. And we, we find some of them here again in Psalm 55. Uh, well, let's read it together. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me and I am distraught because of what my enemy is saying because of the threats of the wicked. For they bring down suffering on me and assail me in their anger. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter, far from the tempest and storm. Lord, confuse the wicked. Confound their words, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they prowl about on its walls. Malice and abuse, and abuse are within it. Destructive forces are at work in the city. Threats and lies never leave its streets. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked about among the worshippers. Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead, for evil finds lodging among them. As for me, I call to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he, he, he hears my voice. He rescues me unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though many oppose me. God, who is enthroned from of old, who does not change, he will hear them and humble them because they have no fear of God. My companion attacks his friends. He violates his covenant. His talk is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. But you, God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of decay. The bloodthirsty and deceitful will not live out half their days. But as for me, I will trust in you. You get the idea? He's having a hard time. King David probably almost certainly wrote the psalm. And again, he's in a difficult situation. It's more difficult this time. In, in some of the previous Psalms, it's been easy to spot exactly where it fits in the life of King David. With this one, it's not specified. We're not sure. It could fit with 2 Samuel chapters 15 to 17 and the rebellion of Absalom, his son. Uh, Absalom was very clever about it. He used to sit sort of near the walls of Jerusalem and, and kind of give people sort of perks as they came in to sort of befriend them and, and get them on his side until he was ready to launch his rebellion. It could have been then. What doesn't fit with that is that 
In verse 13, the companion is described as a friend rather than his son, and Absalom was David's son. But of course, then again, it could have been somebody who decided to go onto Absalom's side against David. We don't know who it was. We're not sure exactly when the time was, but what we do know is David was in deep, deep trouble. Huge danger, massive disappointment, and there was no immediate awareness for David of how he was going to escape the difficulties he was in. I have, just there on my hand, a scar. I wish I could claim I, I achieved a scar doing something heroic, but I was about seven years old when I was playing hide and seek and hiding in some long grass and I thought I had my moment to push my hands down to run to the, the base and there was the glass on the ground and there was the blood pouring from the scar. The scar's there. In fact, because of my age, you'd be surprised to know, I'm sure, uh, I've got quite a few scars. And I remember them and I remember what they represent and I remember the events that surrounded them. And for all our physical scars, every one of us, as we grow, get more and more emotional scars, more and more mental scars, more and more stuff. The stuff of life hurts. And we carry the scars even when the hurt is gone. And sometimes that's a really good thing because it reminds us, it reminds us of how God has seen us through. So let's learn a bit about where David was at and put ourselves in his position as best we can, uh, some parallels, before we look at what David did to rescue himself from the despair he was in. The first thing that's obvious in this passage of scripture is that belonging to the Lord doesn't make you immune from danger. All right? David was God's man. He was God's anointed king, and yet the danger he faced at this time was very real and very terrifying. It wasn't pretense. His life was at risk. Now, you may hear people say things like, uh, well, if, if you're truly God's person, of course, you won't get COVID. Or if you're truly God's person, uh, you know, dementia won't come to you. It's all nonsense. If you truly belong to the Lord, you'll never get caught up in natural disasters because he'll make sure you're somewhere else. It's claptrap. We share the common lot of humanity. We live in the real world. Christians died in World War II bombings. Churches were destroyed in World War II bombings. The missionary Jim Elliott and his friends were beheaded by Auka Indians that they were seeking to evangelize. Christians have been caught up in earthquakes, in wildfires, in volcanic eruptions, in floods, and so on, and so on, and so on. Are you depressed yet? <laughs> but it's true, isn't it? You know, uh, yes, our relationship with God makes a difference. We'll come to that in a moment. But let's not pretend. Let's not pretend that bad things don't happen to people who are seeking to live the way God would have them to live, because they do. And then you see David's very human reaction to all this, over the wings of a dove, yeah? Of course, you hear those words, and immediately a tune comes to your mind, doesn't it, with this sort of boy soprano singing, over the wings, never mind, I won't go there. Um, <clears throat> but you understand, you understand. I, I want out, please. 
You know what was the phrase he used to use? Stop the world, I want to get off. There are times in my life when I've wanted to draw up the drawbridge and just keep me and mine safe in one place and let the rest of the world get on with what it's doing because I don't like it. I, I wasn't coping with it. There have been times throughout my ministry, and I spent 30 odd years as a Baptist minister, for those of you who don't know me, times in my ministry when I would sit in my favorite chair. I've always got a favorite chair wherever I've been. You know, I, I, I have a gift for sitting. It's a useful gift. But in that chair, wherever it was, that's where I sort things out with God. Always is. Whatever's going on around me. And there have been times when I've known I've got to get up and face something. And I haven't been sure that I'd be able to do that. I really wondered if I'd physically be able to get out of the chair to face what I had to face. And for every Christian you see who seems to be walking in victory, who God has seen them through, please don't think that any victory that's been won has been won easily. And please don't think that anybody who's been through a time where it's looked like defeat is finished with. Because I know from experience, God takes the defeated and he puts them back on their feet if we let him. But the desire to fly away, the desire to, to go to, Lord, I don't want this anymore. It's real. And the joy of the Psalms is the Psalms are, are full of, of real emotion, real feeling. And guess what? They're designed to be used devotionally and in worship in church. And we do well with the praise ones, don't we? Yeah, praise God, praise God. We don't sing a lot about, Lord, I am distraught. But we probably are, or ought to. Because let's face it, every one of us walks into a building like this, and at any moment in time, we might be the one who is distraught. We might be the one who's struggling. And to see everybody else all the time going, woo, isn't, isn't life great? Sometimes it can be just hard. Now, please, I'm not suggesting that we should turn church into a, oh, Lord, you know. But there are moments. We've got to go through that sometimes before we can get our feet back on the rock, back on the place where we can rejoice, where we can celebrate the goodness of God. Uh, Elijah, he, he, he wanted to escape. He did escape. He, he just had the huge victory against the prophets of Baal and against Jezebel, where God had come to his rescue. What a great moment of power. And Jezebel sends him a message threatening him. Now you'd think he'd say, what are you threatening me for? Look what's just happened. No, he didn't. He ran. He ran because he was worn out and he was tired and he went to a place where God renewed him with sleep and with food and with a renewed promise. But sometimes, though we want to run, we can't. Sometimes we're stuck where we are. David couldn't get out of this. David had to face the implications, not just because he couldn't physically leave, but because he was king of Israel. The whole, the whole nation depended on him. The, the rightness and the truth of his position needed to be explained and, and brought to the fore. So being the Lord's doesn't keep us from danger. And the honesty of saying to God how we feel is fine. It really is. You know, God, I feel rubbish today. You ever, ever said that to God? You may think, oh, I can't talk to God like that. You, you can imagine God saying, what do you mean you feel rubbish? Don't you know I love you? 
God wants to hear it. He really does want what's in our hearts and deep in our spirits to be given to him. Because when we give it to him, we own it. And when we give it to him in an owned way, he can heal it and he can deal with it. Then there's a third issue here, which is uh, traumatic as well. When you've been let down. You can't be sure who David is referring to in verses 12 to 15. But the betrayal has devastated him. He had trusted this man he's talking about. They were genuinely close. They had worshipped together. And now this man was seeking David's destruction and bad-mouthing him to all and sundry. Wow. Now I have to confess, I don't know anybody who was once my friend who now wants to kill me. If you know, let me know, but I don't know, you know. I, I'm not putting myself in that position. What I, what I am saying is, and I, I doubt if many of you are either, but what I am saying is we all know what it is to be let down very badly. We know the pain of people we've trusted and walked with who've turned away from us and very often from God. Um, Robert Brown comes to mind. I was about 14, he was 13. We were in the Salvation Army together, did loads of stuff together, uh, professed to be a Christian. One day he simply came to me after we'd been doing loads of stuff together and said, I'm not doing this anymore, and disappeared. Turned his back on God, turned his back on me. And that was my first encounter with, whoa, what's this about? But it wasn't my last. Uh, Christian unions, we've been talking about CUs. I, I helped lead two of us, me and a girl, led the CU at Luton Sixth Form College. And uh, one day she just said, that's it. I'm not doing Christianity anymore. And walked away. I went, how? What? I, I tried to talk to her. Hmm? Now, I don't know where those people are now with God. That's between them and God. But all I know is at the time, it was pretty devastating stuff. And you think about the image of Christianity in that sixth form, when all of a sudden one of the leaders of the, the Christian Union is saying, hey, I don't want to know anymore. Oh. Then, of course, a, a you know, very close friend uh, of Betty and I for, for many years, who uh, was a leader in the church, uh, ran children's work and youth work, uh, left his wife, left the church, turned his back on those things and left a devastated community of young people within that church. Uh, you know, the emotion of that can still be raw with me. What do you do with those things? What do you do with those things? I could go on. You may think, gosh, this is, this is a lot, you know. I could tell you of a number of other people. You don't spend that long in Christian circles without, without that kind of pain. The truth is, we all get let down. And we all have people who walk away from us and sometimes walk away from God. And sometimes those people can even be within our own families. And sometimes the heartache of those situations feels like more than we can bear. Or am I the only one? David knew this. 
We live in a brutal, painful reality. But there are two timeless lessons that David learned through all this, which we need to keep hold of. And if we're serious about living this Christian life, if we're serious about being faithful to the end, if we're serious about continuing regardless, we used to sing, uh, uh, well, I can't remember what the hymn was, but the verse was, though none go with me, I still will follow. What was the first line of that one? <laughs> so I have decided to follow Jesus, that's right. And one of the verses was, though none go with me, I still will follow. It's easy to sing, but... So the two lessons are this. Firstly, keep calling out to God. Keep calling out to God. That's what David says he does uh, evening, morning, and noon. You're thinking, hang on, is that a strange way around? But remember the way the Jewish people measured their days. It started in the evening, it started sunset, and uh, 24 hours from then. So we would say morning, noon, and night. Yes. Keep calling out to God. Keep crying out to him. As Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, Pray continually, or as the old version says, pray without ceasing. When I was young, I used to think, how on earth do you manage that? But I've discovered that actually what you get into in the end is this lifestyle where everything you do and everything you're thinking about and everything you're saying, you're bringing to God just instinctively all the time because he's so rooted in the reality of who you are. And the only way that works is by keeping regular times with God where it's focused Keep on praying, keep on praying, keep on praying. Jesus uh, told a parable about it. Jesus told a parable about most things, but in Luke 18, we find these words. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God, I care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? on earth. The point is simple. If an unjust judge can do what's right just to avoid being worn out with and, and nagged, how much more can we expect God, who's actually on our side, to hear our prayers, to answer our prayers, to be continually working towards those answers? And the reason Jesus told the parable was so that we should pray and not give There are situations that only God can deal with. To be honest, only God can deal with every situation, just that we think we can deal with some. But there are situations that even we know we can't deal with. Only God can. And he can. That's the point. Prayer isn't about making ourselves feel better. You know, oh God, I'm going to pray to you so that all the burden lifts off me and I feel okay. Prayer is talking to the one who can make a difference. Talking to the one who can touch my heart with peace, but also bring about change in the events that I'm praying for. We need to call on him morning, noon, night. The habit, utter, total habit of doing what's right. Oh, aren't habits wrong? Shouldn't, shouldn't Christians live spontaneously? I remember in the early days of the charismatic movement, 
I was at a big uh, thing in the Albert Hall, and bless him, the guy who said it would, wouldn't say it now. Uh, but it was, everything was full of, you know, all responding to God here. He said, there is no place for discipline in the Christian life. And I remember, even as a young Christian, I was up in the gods of the Albert Hall, I wanted to shout, I wanted to heckle. What he was trying to say was, we shouldn't live by routine, we should live in a relationship. That is right. But the only way relationships can thrive is through the routine of discipline, of continually doing what is right. Keep calling out, keep calling out, keep calling out. And the other lesson David learned was this. We've been here before, but you need to hear it again. Cast all your anxiety. Cast your anxiety on him. It could have been that Peter actually had this verse from the Psalms in mind when he wrote in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety for him because he cares for you. Uh, I've just been preparing devotionals on this and I was just thinking of all the different words you could use for cast. Uh, hurl, hoy, jettison. Uh, no, you don't have to call them out. But yeah. But this one is the word that's used in Greek for saddling a donkey or a horse. Great, isn't it? Here's a saddle, there's a donkey. Whee! Now, at that point, there's no point. You're not going to stop there, are you? You take this huge weight and you're throwing it. That's the image that they're trying to get hold of. Cast, really cast all your anxiety on the Lord. You don't take it and go, there you are. It's a violent act. It's a strong act. It's an act of completion. Cast all your anxiety. Cast, cast, cast. You, am I the only one in this church who still gets anxious? Yeah? No? Now, please don't misunderstand me here. I'm going to sound, uh, going to sound remarkably arrogant, uh, and I don't mean it this way. To be honest, if I get anxious, the rest of you must do. Because I'm not a naturally anxious person at all. Yeah? I, I deal with stuff quite quickly and just. But it still gets to me. What are you thinking about the stuff that's going on in Afghanistan at the moment? What are you thinking about the advance of the Taliban? You know, it's all, it's all over there. Okay, what are you thinking about the mess that we're in as a nation at the moment? A, a nation which is rapidly moving to the stage where it's uh, easy prey to anybody who seems to have a voice of authority. We're in a perilous place. Uh, the, the foundations of democracy, which we so strongly believe, are being eroded, and we're not even noticing it. And you can imagine people coming along and saying, this is the way. This is all we have to do. Oh, right, we can follow. It astonishes me how easy it is for people to say, if only we can find the right leader, we'll follow them. It can happen in church. I know people who change churches because they think the minister's wonderful. I know a few who've left as well because, never mind. Um, but they think the minister's wonderful. And, and as long as the minister is there, oh, he can do no wrong. Or she can do no wrong in some cases. Yeah? And then the minister leaves. And so do they. And they go to find another authority figure which will exempt them from having to make their own moral choices, exempt them from having to think for themselves, and exempt them from having to study the scripture for themselves. There's stuff going on in our society which disturbs me deeply. And, and then you can get to the ordinary anxieties of life, you know? 
What's going to happen to the kids? What's going to happen to the grandkids? What's going to happen financially for some people? What's going to happen with the job? Where's my future going? All the things which have been all through the ages that make us anxious. My, my mother learned a bit late about that because she used to be quite an anxious person. I used to say about my mother at one stage that she had a kind of worry capacity. And no matter what there was going on to worry about, she'd always worry about it at the same capacity. Uh, it almost made her thrive. But she learned more and more how to trust through all that. So cast all your anxiety. In Romans chapter 8, verse 37, we find these words. Paul talking about all, all the problems and stuff. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We need to read that over and over and over and over and over. God can and does often provide miraculous responses to people in their need. Sometimes when we cry out in a moment of danger, he does deliver us remarkably in those circumstances. I've known that happen again and again and again. Uh, we need to pray about those things, but the bottom line is this. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, the bottom line is this. However long our struggle may go on, God will walk every step of that struggle with us and he will never turn away from us. Even when we feel a failure and we feel we've blown the whole thing and there's no way back, God is right there in the midst of all that. He does not abandon his people. He will give us the courage and he will give us the strength. And when we breathe our last, we are going to be with him. Through. If your trust is in Christ, this is a fact. When you breathe your last, you're going to be with him through all eternity, free from fear, free from danger, and all those things which seem to entrap our lives now, if we're not careful, will be gone. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. And those who have wronged us, now David's speaking in an Old Testament context before he knew anything about Jesus or the teachings of Christ or the New Testament, so you've got to put that in context. But those who have wronged us will have to answer to God for what they have done. And I'm content with that. Jesus, I believe, would have us pray for them, as I do regularly, actually, for a number of people. Jesus would have us pray for them, that they would be brought to repentance and restored and, and that the, the hurt would be turned to love. That's what Jesus would have us do. But in the end, they must give account to God. They won't just leave it there. In the reality and danger and hurt, we call out and we cast our cares. Cast our cares. Cast our cares on the Lord. And one final thing. I'm nearly done. You remember what I said about uh, over the wings of a dove to fly away? Something I've discovered about my chair. I don't have to fly away to find a place of refuge. It doesn't have to be a chair either. God is our refuge and strength. An ever-present help in time of trouble. He really is. In our relationship with him, in our prayer life with him, in our, in our holding on to him, only to discover that he's actually holding on to us. In all that, he is our refuge. 
We must always turn to him and not away from him, to him, to him. Even when we feel we've failed him, we've let him down, we must turn to him because he's our only hope. There's an old hymn. I put this verse in the devotionals as well for next week. Uh, it just came to me as, as I was thinking about it all. Mid all the traffic of the ways, turmoils without within, make in my heart a quiet place and come and dwell therein. That's how God wants you to live. He won't always take you out of the pain and the struggle. He won't. Sometimes he will, but not always. But what he does want for all of us is that we would know the security of his presence. We would know that we are safe with him. We would know that nothing can separate us from God's love and how much, however much we may have hurt, been hurt and however much we may have been wronged and whatever the danger that are facing us, God wins. And his words and his word, always true. Let's pray. Father, we don't understand life really. We understand bits of it. We don't understand why sometimes the wicked seem to prosper. We don't understand why people, for whatever reason, can hurt us so badly. And Lord, to be honest, we don't always understand why we may have hurt others in our time. We don't understand, Lord, why uh, the pain is all around us. We know all about the damage that sin has done to the world and the whole creation groaning as of the pains of childbirth. We know all those things, Lord, that things aren't the way they ought to be. But in the day-to-day, -day, we sometimes can't get a handle on the way forwards. Lord, I pray that you would teach us how to trust you, that you would teach us to cry out to you morning, noon, and night, to go on and go on and go on because you are the only hope and you are the certain hope. And I pray that you would teach us increasingly to cast every burden on you violently and completely and create for each of us that place of refuge and place of safety in the intimacy of your love. In Jesus' name, amen.